Behind the Shades. Well, Trent, how are you doing today, my friend? I couldn't be better. So I know you're joining us to speak about an incredible journey that you've had. You survived cancer not once, not twice, but three different times. And you must have so much experience and wisdom in regards to that because, hey, not everyone gets to beat it that many times. So before we get started, why don't you um, introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and where they can find you. Sure. Uh, My name is Trent Brock. Uh, You can find me on Facebook. You know, a lot of people are are on my Facebook page. So um, it's just Trent Brock on Facebook. My Instagram, uh, Instagram handle is Trent B. Brock for my middle initial. And um, my uh, email address is Trent Brock at Yahoo. And um, I'm, you know, I'm very interactive. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment, you have a question, you just want to talk or, you know, something like that. I'm all good with any of those kinds of things. So. Perfect. So take us through the genesis, Trent. Um, I know you survived cancer three times. So tell us about the very first time you found out you had cancer and how did that impact your life? Okay. Okay. Well, let me get, let me just take it like maybe a step back and give you a little bit of basis of a background um, to kind of lead us into that. Cause I feel like you, you'll, you could be kind of like, okay, well, I'm coming into the middle of a story here. So um, I'm originally from Louisiana and um, I've, I've always traveled and loved to go and do and see new things, been very adventurous. And um, I ended up in New Zealand of all places. And um, I eventually, I, I was an IT guy by trade and I started a kettle corn business there. They didn't have kettle corn popcorn there. And uh, I'm not smart enough to invent anything, but I'm smart enough to know that if something good is somewhere and it ain't somewhere else, that people will probably like it. So I felt pretty comfortable. So um, that's just a, just a quick little snapshot of kind of the background about me. So I was living in New Zealand, uh, running my business, and uh, started limping around my factory in the spring of 2019. And um, I went to several doctors, and they all told me that I had torn butt muscle. Ended up having to go into the hospital to get some uh, blood work done. And the uh, hematologist and I are on a very kind of frank, friendly kind of basis. I even have her mobile number, just kind of one of those things where we just kind of know each other. And she just said, something is wrong with you. You're getting an x-ray today. We argued about it. We fought about it. And finally, I said, okay, for you, I'll go get an x-ray. I mean, I know I got a torn butt muscle. About a week later, she calls me and she's like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm sitting in my truck. And she said, well, I want to tell you that you um, have a large void in your pelvis area that's causing you the extreme pain in the limping. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, most likely you have cancer. Well, obviously, you know, I had a bit of a meltdown. Okay. And the reason I had a bit of a meltdown is because one of my best friends, my brother's best friend, fraternity brother, my aunt and uncle's godson, uh, at the age of 38, died of cancer about eight or nine months before that, um, left his wife and kids. So immediately what I think is, oh my gosh, I'm going to die of cancer, just like my friend Chris did. 
And uh, so immediately I called my parents and I discussed with them, you know, I told them what had happened, told them what was going on. And um, they wanted me to come straight to the hospital. Okay. I had about a quarter inch of, of my pelvis bone holding my leg on. And uh, the doc said, with every step that you take, you're in danger of breaking your leg. And if you break your leg, it will come off. We will have to take it off. We cannot save it for sure. So you need to get to the emergency room right now. How are you going to get to the emergency room? I said, well, I'm going to drive myself and I'll walk in the front door. And she said, immediately, when you get in the front door, you need to get in the wheelchair. Okay. So that was kind of the start of the journey. So that was the first time you had it. And then just hearing from the doctors tell you that kind of story where it's like, my God, my life is totally changing at this point. And you have absolutely no idea how to deal with it because your only reference point is your friend who passed Correct. away, right? So how... Yeah. Did you begin to rationalize that in your mind, saying that I know this person who's died from it? Here I am in a wheelchair at this point. Yeah. Um, shock. I think shock. It disbelief. Um, it took me, it took me quite a while to get a hold of it, to to really accept it and deal with it. I've never had any health issues. Okay. Never had any problems in life, broken my ankles, broken a few bones, you know, typical things that you do being silly or playing sports. So um, it took me several, several months really to get a hold of it. And um, it was a long six month journey to, to actually get the hip implant. It's, it's public health care in New Zealand. And I think probably being in Canada, you can appreciate uh, that it's not very speedy. And it's kind of, uh, it's a it's a government-run thing, right? And we know that things are run by the government. Well, they run at snail's pace. So does the healthcare system. So that was, um, that that was it, you know. Um, it was, uh, it, it, it took me, it took me, yeah, it took me many months to really accept the fact. And, it, you know, I, I tried to take the positive out of it because the thing was, they're like, well, we can save the leg. And we're going to, you know, we can do a hip implant. It's going to be a custom hip implant, but we can do that. And we can save the leg. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a blip. This is a blip in the game, but you know, I'm going to be out of commission for a while, but I'm not going to die and I'm not going to lose my leg, you know? So they found it, they saved it. So what happened over several months was they would, <clears throat> they would do the x-rays, do the scans. They would try to construct the implant. Okay. By the time they're ready, a couple months later, new scans, new x-rays, it's progressed. doesn't fit anymore. So we got to start over. So that happened about three times. And then it was like about two or three days before surgery, the doc comes in and he just says, hey, man, it's too far. We're cutting the leg off. Well, obviously, it, you know, you, you built me up hanging on like this for six months in the hospital, you know, hanging around trying to deal with this thing. And you tell me three days beforehand, you're going to cut my leg off. I had a meltdown, man. I had an absolute, I mean, just an emotional meltdown, right? And my parents were on the line. My dad got involved and my dad just said, hey man, doc, 
You can't do this to us. You let us down this road for six months, you're saving a leg. You're going to have to figure it out. If not, putting the kid on a plane tomorrow and he's coming home. So figure it out or not, but you need an, we need an answer. So he came back to us the next day, you know, and uh, he said, hey, we can leave it, but I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm not guaranteeing it's going to function. I can tell you can feel anything. It may just be a stump. And my dad said, we don't care. Cut it off later, but give him a chance. You don't know this guy. Never met him. He's a fighter. He's a winner. And he'll make this thing work if he's got a chance. So that's kind of what happened with the leg thing. And uh, a lot of details in between. Um, but I know you don't have four hours. <laughs> so um, we got through the we got through the the leg surgery, okay? And uh, it was it, it became infected. So I had about I've had about seven more, six or seven more hip surgeries to try to clean it out and tidy it up and fix it and everything. Never could get rid of the chronic infection. It just was there. But um, healed up enough. They released me. And, uh, you know, I mean, you own your own business. I'm right back at the factory, man. You know, going back to work. That's all I want to do. Just get back to work and get back to normal. And uh, so my parents went home and uh, <clears throat> had another scan. A couple scans, didn't know. Had a scan in December. This is, um, I don't know, my folks went home mid like January. I had to go in because the leg was infected and it was abscessing with these large kind of pussy, you know, gross looking yeah, things. So I went in the hospital and they said, well, we need to drain it and do that. And hey, by the way, I want to let you know on your last scan, you got lung cancer and pancreas cancer. Yeah. So um, that really, you know, that really set me back, you know, and I started thinking, okay, I, I thought this was over. I really thought this was over, but it's not. And so obviously the pancreas thing is the bigger issue than the lung. So um, we had the pancreas surgery. That went fine. No complications, no issues. So they cut out the bottom into my pancreas because that's where the tumor was. And most of the time when they do that, they have to take the spleen as well. So they removed that. Surgery went fine, no major issues, but it was a misdiagnosis. So they removed half my pancreas and spleen for a blood clot. And yeah, yeah. And, you know, public health care, man, what are you going to do? Fill out a one sheet piece of paper as a complaint. They're going to look at that. They're going to throw it in the rubbish bin. They're going to keep going. Doesn't matter. There's no consequences, right? There's just no consequences. So um, that was a bittersweet, bittersweet thing. I'm like, well, thank God I didn't have pancreas cancer because I know everybody dies from that. Um, but man, you know, you've compromised me and my health for the, for the rest of the time I have here on earth. So that's that's tough to deal with. That's That's been, you know, I've had to work through quite a bit of resentment with this guy because, see, they wouldn't do a biopsy on me. I asked for a biopsy and they just said, hey, we're not doing one. OK, we don't need to. We're not wasting the time, not wasting the money. You've had hip cancer. You got lung cancer. You got pancreas cancer. You got cancer, man. We're just doing it. OK, at that point in time, I was still kind of learning, learning how to deal with this, learning this process. Didn't really know how to advocate myself myself you know 
And uh, so, hey, you know, I kind of, well, I take take the rough with the smooth and I guess, you know, hey, don't have pancreas cancer, let's, let's focus on that, okay? So then I had the lung thing several months later. And by, by the way, this was during COVID, okay? So COVID had hit and in New Zealand, they shut the place down. So, I mean, it was locked down, man. You could go, you could be in your home, you could go to the supermarket, and if you had a job where they needed you to work, you know, in, in an industry, and I did, thank God, because I got a food business, and if you can't make food to put on the on the supermarket shelves, well, no one can eat. So, luckily, I got to go to work, but um, there was only three places you go, and my parents couldn't come because, you know, they're not New, Ze New Zealand citizens, and they, so... I had to deal with all that on my own. So I did the, I had to do the pancreas thing on my own. And then I had the lung surgery that went okay. That got infected as well. And they also figured out, cause I had kind of been in this, been in this place where I was like, you know what, these guys messed around with this leg enough. I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm not doing it anymore. I know there's something wrong with it. I know it's infected. It hurts terribly. I'm dragging this thing around, but I know I, I just, I'm not going to do this anymore. I know eventually, probably sometime in the future, I'm going to go back to the States and you know what, I'm, I'm probably just going to let them deal with it then. They can't resolve this infection. They've tried to do it. Well, the orthopedic doctor found out that I was in the hospital and he came in while I was quite under the influence of all the narcotics. And he said, hey, man, this leg's infected and we're going in. They had put a little wire in there to hold the leg bone close to the to the remaining bit of pelvis I had, because what happens is when there's nothing there, it's basically kind of like a sponge in there. So the leg just keeps. So it started out right after the first surgery was about two inches. And by the end of it, it, it it's ended up being about four. So, um, you know, it just continues. And so he, they put the wire in to prevent that, but they thought the wiring was causing the infection. It wasn't, but they went in and took that out. So, I got this gash that they, you know, filleted me wide open with the leg, took that out. I got the hips infected, the legs infected. A two-week deal turned into a two-and-a-half-month deal. And um, so eventually the lung surgeon came in and he said, look, we need your bed. And uh, I, I said, well, I mean, I'm hooked up. You know, you got a vac, you got a vac thing on me that I kept carrying a machine around. Um, my, my, my lungs infected. I've got a gash on the back of me. I got a port in my arm where you guys are trying to feed me antibiotics. I can't walk. I can't do anything. I mean, I need help to get to and from everywhere to the bathroom. I'm like, basically, man, I'm from, I'm from the, from the bed to the chair to the bed. That was my life for two and a half months. You know, he said, well, the person that the person that's coming in needs the bed more than you do, and you're out of here tomorrow. Okay, you don't want me anymore. You want me to? Be, you really? All this? You're gonna leave me like that? You want me out of here tomorrow? Yep. They came in the next day, man. They packed my stuff up, put me in a taxi, and sent me home. <laughs> Brent, and, uh, I remember that. My hospital experience, similar to yours, where it is shocking, right? Not on the yeah. level that you went through, but when I hear someone tell me about the hospitals, I'm like, if I were to step back in there, it's like it's like a haunted house, right? You're looking around and you 
yeah. don't even know where you want to go because everywhere is scary for different reasons. People go through what they go through. And there's the good, the bad, and then there's things in the middle. And when you tell your story, I'm hearing of someone that was wronged by the system, that was wronged by their government, by their health care, by their caretakers. And when you had the cancer, Mm -hmm. the infection, the bad experience, and now they're saying, you know what? We need your bed. Because there's someone who deserves it more than you. So tomorrow you're out. Yeah. And you have to deal with that. Yeah. And then you still have to continue the road to recovery. So as you were recovering, looking back in hindsight, saying that, man, if I can survive that, I can survive whatever is going to come up in my future. Did you have that type of underdog David versus Goliath type of mentality as you're recovering? Absolutely. No doubt, man. You know what? And, you know, I'm not a big guy, man. Okay. I'm an average guy. I'm only five foot eight. I want 155 pounds. Okay. I'm not super smart. I've always been the underdog. And I'll tell you what, man, that's exactly what I drew on. That's exactly what I drew on because I was the littlest guy on the court, the littlest guy on the field. But you know what I got? I got heart, man. I got heart. And you know what? Heart is a decision. Like attitude is a decision. And how, you know, there's certain, there's uncontrollable things in your life, right? You can't control a lot of things, but you know what you can't control? Your attitude and how you want to, pl- how you want to deal with it. Okay. And if you want to quit or not, and dude, I don't quit ever. I never quit. And I, and I, and I'll tell you, I was, I, I was in a, I was in a place where I did. I did for a while. I gave up, you know, I've had five of my surgeons, my orthopedic, my heart, my, my lung doctor, all of them. Okay. Every one of them, oncologist. When I got the pancreas thing, they're like, it's a death sentence, man. You're dead. You're going to be dead in a year. Plan your exit. And I accepted that. I did. I accepted that for several weeks. And, uh, I hung around the house and, uh, <clears throat> I also, when they, when they, when the lung doctor asked me to leave, I was on methadone. Okay. Methadone is a narcotic that they, that most people are familiar with methadone, that they use methadone for heroin or opiate addicts to help get off of it. Okay. In New Zealand, they use it as a pain management tool, extremely effective for pain management, but it's very addictive. And it takes forever to get off of it. Okay. So my first experience with it in the hospital with my, with my hip surgery is I was on it. They got me off of it. No issues, no problem with the lung thing. Okay. They kicked me out and they didn't give me anything to take with me. So it took me about three or four days to realize I was having methadone withdrawal. Okay. And with methadone withdrawal, it's just, it's just like what everyone thinks of like a crack addict, right? You got, you got the, um, you got the hot, you got the cold, you got the, 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 you know, you got the psychological problems, the suicidal things, the anxiety, the craziness, the, the temper, all that stuff was going on, man. And so that just perpetuated how I truly was feeling with the information. Um, 
because you know, having these suicidal thoughts and I'm thinking, well, hell, I'm going to be dead in here anyways. I might just halt myself. You know, and I toyed with that for several weeks, you know, and um, that was that was really difficult. But I knew that the medication was multiplying my feelings, and my emotions. And so that was what was that was probably out of everything I've dealt with. That was the most difficult thing. And um, yeah, the David Goliath underdog thing. I just, man, I just, I just made my mind up and I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm going to die, but I've got a chance, right? And I think back to when, when I was younger. I mean, man, dude, I'm an American living in New Zealand. I'm not supposed to have a successful business. I started a business down there. I moved down there. I didn't know a single person. I'm like, man, I've been an underdog in everything I've ever done and everything I've ever tried. And you know what? That's what I love about it. Because when you're the underdog, no one expects you to win. But when you do, they cheer for you. Everybody pulls for the underdog, right? People love the underdog story. That's how all the movies are, man. It's always, it's that, that's how it always goes. So I'm thinking, okay, well, no one expects me to make it. But you know what? What if I do? And I got a chance. All I needed was a chance. I don't care about the percentages. A chance is a chance. And so, I, you know, I was on the phone with my parents one day and um, it was getting bad. You know, like, so what had happened was I got out of the hospital, okay? My next scan, I really did have pancreas cancer, okay? Got the, got the biopsy, did the thing, truly did have it. In about five or six months, the thing grew from about, you know, the size of like, I, I don't know, two millimeters, millimeter, two millimeters where they caught it on the scan to the size of a baseball growing into my stomach. Okay. And I'm on the phone with my parents one day and we're just talking about, you know, what my options are. And I'm just was toying with, am I going to come home? Or am I not going to come home? I don't want to come home because I don't want to. You know, I don't have insurance. I'm, I mean, I've lived in the in New Zealand 17 years. Why do I need insurance in New Zealand in, in the U.S. Right? So I don't have insurance. I know I can't get insurance. I'm not going to come home, bankrupt my parents, and die on them. So they're going to be broke and have a dead kid. So I just thought, well, better for them just to be sad than to be broke and sad. So um, we were just on the phone one day, you know, and and. Uh, we're talking about it and and the despair and the hopelessness and and you know the guilt. I mean, you know, it, it's not my fault, but I'm the one causing this. It, you know, it, it's me. It's me doing this, bringing all this pain and and suffering and sadness. And I just thought, you know what? I don't care about me anymore, but I just can't die on my parents, man. I just can't. So what are you gonna do about it? Well. I'm going to make a change because I, I made some changes, but I didn't make big changes. I know if I even make a, if you want a big result, you got to make a big change. So I started tackling everything, right? I started actually doing the research, changed my diet, changing my mental outlook, changing my spiritual outlook, which in, in turn changes your emotions. So I had to work on all four of those areas because to me, that's what makes up a human being. Right, all those areas, and so the diet thing—how hard does that mean? Just change what you're eating. 
not that big of a deal, right? I mean, it takes some self-control, self-discipline, but you know, and it's, it wasn't, it wasn't crazy, man. I didn't like start eating rabbit food all the time, cut out sugar, you know, um, you know, quit eating, quit eating the top things that cause cancer, right? Cut those out, replace them with good things. And then I started on my mental because the deal was right. My heart's like, man, I want to try to beat this, but my head and my practical things going, you can't, you're not going to beat this. No one does. So how are you going to do that? So I started in with the self-help stuff, right? And for me, the self-help stuff was meditation, um, yoga, going to the gym with the exercise, right? Uh, started looking for articles and people that had beat cancer, right? And just nothing but positive. So if I wasn't at work, I totally had to renew my mind. My focus was, if I wasn't at work, outside of that, my 100% focus was, what am I going to do to change my mindset, right? So that's what I started working on. And it took months, man, months and months and months and months and months. And so now, I mean, I got my mind muscle, man. And this thing, I can beat anything. I can win anything. I appreciate doctors. I appreciate them. But you know what? They're human beings. They're the closest thing we have to God, but they're not. They're practicing medicine. They're only practicing, right? So practice makes perfect, but they ain't perfect. So, you know, I just said, you know what? These guys, they don't know me. Appreciate your input. Appreciate your info. But I'm going to figure out my formula and the way I'm going to beat this. And that's beautiful because it shows how determined you were to live a life as successful as you can be, right? So as you're doing that, as you're fighting it, and that's why I mentioned the David and Goliath, because I love that story and I love that attitude that you have, right? It's like, I'm not going to give up. My parents are not going to bury me today. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to make sure that, hey, I still have a lot more years on this earth. And the number one reason why, I have that fight inside of me. So when you're battling and saying that I'm going to live more years, I'm going to continue to be more successful, tell us how you became that type of person with that mentality and you still led a successful business. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I have a spiritual aspect to me. I am a Christian. Okay. But I am not over the top, man. I'm not over the top about it. Okay. It's a part of my life, but it, it, you know, it doesn't rule my entire life. So what I started doing was I found there's a speaker guy. There's a speaker guy that I really like. Okay. And, and I started listening to some of his sermons about miracles. Okay. And I just listened to him repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Okay. Or I would listen to something that was self-help, something that was positive, something that was about what am what is the issue that I'm dealing with? What am I trying to get over? Right. I'm trying to get over not being able to walk. Okay. For example, because I'm I'm crippled right now. I'm still on crutches and uh you, you know I'm working on a hip and I'm gonna get a hip, but you know, it's been a four-year-long deal, 
since the first surgery. So one of the things that I found was I found this book by this guy that, you know, silly, trying to trying to get into his apartment because he locked himself out on the second or third story, ended up falling off the balcony, right? Trying to get around the balcony, fell off the balcony, broke his neck, woke up paralyzed. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was a book about him learning that he could walk and he, and it's his journey. And the guy walks now, you know, like he woke up, he couldn't even feed himself. Right. But he figured it out. So I used examples, real life examples of people of anything that I had an issue with. And I was like, I'm going to listen to this. And if one person can do it, I can do it too. That's how simple it was. So anything that was negative, it like my friends, you know, like I had people that be negative around me or, you know, saying negative things or, or so I'm out. I'm out. I'm not watching. I'm not watching crappy news. Okay. That's going to make me sad about stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hang out with my friends that are negative. I'm not going to be around negative stuff. I'm out. I'm going to do nothing but positive. And what I would do was, I mean, this, this book with this guy was paralyzed and ended up walking again. Man, dude, I listened to that book. On, I like audiobooks because I don't read a lot. I read way too much for work. It's not, a, it's not a pleasure thing for me. But listen to audiobooks, that's cool. So I, listen to audiobook, I probably listen to audiobook 10 times, man. Okay. And I'm just thinking, man, if this guy can do it, I can do it. And I write some notes down, I write some things down. And then you know what I'm doing? I'm putting a little sticky note on the mirror in the bathroom, in the car, on my computer, right? Just something simple to remind me when I'm having a rough day, what's your focus? You're having a tough time. It's okay. Dude, you can't have a great day every day. So, but hey, remember where you're at. Remember what your focus is. Remember what you're doing here and, and continue to just try to fill myself up every single day, you know? Because I my thing was, you know what? If I don't quit, I win. Even if I died, even if I died, right? Everyone would be at my funeral and they would be saying, you know what? He fought till his everlast breath. And you know what? He never quit. And you know what? That's that was that was I was content with that. I mean, you know, I kind of had to be, right? But man, I wanted to make it, you know? I wanted to be the one to bury my parents instead of my parents burying me. And that was my, you know, that's, you know, if you, if you have a goal, you have a thing, it's about, okay, you got it. You, you, you want, you want to do something, right? Then you got to figure out why. Because when it gets tough, you got to go back to the why. And the why needs to be around for me. The why needs, the why needs to be around. The reason why it needs to be around. Where I could see it and remember daily. Several times a day. What's my focus? What am I focusing on? So it's like you became your own superhero because you believed in yourself so much. And one of the most beautiful things that you said was 
I'm going to be the one to bury my parents. My parents aren't going to bury me because there's so many people. We spoke about this, right, Trent, where everyone knows someone that has had cancer or they've either gone through it. And when you went through it and you're trying to pull from the support, right? You found this book. You're pulling from the support. You have the spiritual side. You're pulling from that support. Yep. Did you ever feel like, man, I'm alone in all of this? Did you have that type of thought? Terribly. Terribly. I thought, you know what? New Zealand, beautiful, beautiful country, wonderful place. People are wonderful. Love it. That's my place. But God, that was kind of a dumb move to move all the way across the world and not have any support, you know, because you got your friends, right? But I couldn't even see my friends, man, because we were in lockdown. I was alone. I was physically and I was physically alone. I was mentally lonely. It was very, very difficult, man. It was very hard not to go down that rabbit hole of negativity and just give up. But I just couldn't do it. And you know what? I had days where I did, man. We just, you know, I have a day where I'm getting, I got some terrible news. You know, like things didn't go well. I got a bad report. Had, to, you know, I got some bad test results. And you know what I do? I, I just, I got down to like, you know what? You know, this, this cliche, the game of life. It became a game to me. I was like, this is so heavy. I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Man, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, it's the game of life, right? It's just a game. And for me, you know, my favorite game is football. So it could be a board game. It could be anything. But for me, football's my game, right? So I started thinking about, look, I'm the quarterback here. This is my life. I'm the quarterback of my life. and. I got some coaches. Those are those are my those are my counselor. Those are my doctors. I got people on my team. That's my family. That's my friends. And hey, you know what? You don't get positive yardage on every play. You know, sometimes you, you think you got a good play and you get up there, man, and the defense just knocks you back on your ass and you lose yardage. Well, you know what I'm going to do? Okay, gotcha. Fine. I'm going to call a timeout. And literally for me, a timeout would be, you know what? I've had enough of today. I'm not going to deal with this today. I'm going to take these, we'll take this information. I'm going to absorb it for today. I'm just, I'm off the radar. I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about my options. I'm going to go to the sideline. I'm going to talk to my coach coaches and we'll talk to my players and you know what tomorrow is a new day which is going to be a new play when timeout's over which is for me i'm gonna get something i'm gonna get a good meal in me try to get a good meal in me i'm gonna go to bed try to get as much sleep as i can and in the morning i'm going for it i'm getting my butt up i'm i'm putting my clothes on and i'm getting out the door and I'm going to make a good decision. So I'm back in the game today. And that's kind of how I did it, you know? 
And so I knew that hey, if I just keep little by little, right? Little bit yardage here, little bit of yardage here. Every single thing, I'm going to get knocked back, but I'm going to keep going, right? Eventually, I'm going to get a touchdown. And for me, this touchdown was beating cancer. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I did it. You know, that's kind of how I decided, you know, I'm just going to play this. I'm just going to play it. Too heavy thinking about living and dying and all this. It's just a game, man. It's just a game. And you know what? I never quit when I play games. And you know what? I know me. I know me. And thing is, I got more heart. I got more heart than you do. And, and I don't particularly mean you, but I mean, who's on the other side? I got more heart than what I'm trying to be. And I'm going to win. You know, I'm never going to give up. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to outdo you. I will be in the game until you quit. And for me, actually the quit was the cancer decided we going somewhere else. Because we ain't got this. We going to lose this game, buddy. You know, you had three quarters. You beat me three quarters. But guess what? I beat you in the fourth. And I won the game. So that's kind of how, you know, mentally, that was something that really was a good mind shift for me.